Live from the Metal Mayhem Studios in Rochester, New York. We are gold. And heard around the world by metalheads just like you. This is Metal Mayhem ROC. Heavy metal music. Your weekly dose of metal music, interviews, album reviews, news, and more. Want to be part of the show? Send us a message through our website, MetalMayhemROC.com. Or hit us up on Facebook and Twitter. Search Metal Mayhem ROC. It's getting nice and heavy. And now, welcome tonight's host, John the Vernomatic Verno. Good evening, everybody. It's Sunday night, not Thursday night, and we have a special edition episode of Metal Mayhem ROC for you. Unfortunately, we're coming at you live tonight, Sunday night, because this past week we lost one of our own, and it's a big one. Legendary metal visionary Johnny Zazula, better known as Johnny Z, founder of Megaforce Records, instrumental in the development of that early thrash and metal movement the guy that brought metallica to the forefront testament overkill anthrax passed away this past week february 1st uh, i had a chance this afternoon to speak with carl kennedy drummer of the rods friend of johnny and marsha zazula for well over 40 years and we had a long conversation. We had a chance to reflect on Johnny's contribution to metal. And more importantly, Johnny's contribution to the human race. Like I said, Carl and Johnny have been friends for years. They go way back to the 80s. And uh, it's a great story. So what I wanted to do, um, do this special edition. I'm going to get this out for you right now. Tomorrow night. I have my live Metal Mayhem ROC live radio show on Metal Devastation Radio, and we're going to be playing tribute to Johnny throughout the show. Music from the bands that he signed, produced, and brought to superstardom, and just reflect and celebrate this man's life. So, unfortunately, I never had a chance to meet him, but I have felt his workings in the 45-plus years that I've been following metal and like I said, he's he is his finger fingerprint on what we all love. So I wanted to do my part to get the word out there and show my respect. So let's get into our conversation in remembrance of Johnny Zazula with Carl Kennedy of the Rods. I'm the Vernomatic. This is Metal Mayhem IROC. Have a great week, folks. Well, we lost a true legend in the rock and metal community last week. Uh, Johnny Zazula, better known as Johnny Z, founder of Megaforce Records, has his uh, fingerprint all over the thrash movement and the metal explosion of the early 80s. I have on the line an old friend of Johnny Z's, Carl Kennedy of the Rods. Carl, I'm sorry for the loss. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me on, and I, and I appreciate that condolences but um, i think we've all we all share that i mean johnny and i were close friends but um, 
you know, I certainly I can't claim ownership to John because he had so many people who loved him, and uh, it's, a, it's a real loss. You know, the guy was a he was a visionary, and he did so much for metal. And uh, it's but it's sad that he's gone. Johnny lost his partner Marsha last year. She was the glue that kept them together during um, his exciting life. And Johnny also had three daughters, uh, one with his first wife and two with his second wife, Marsha. So, again, it goes deeper than just the metal community. So absolutely. And, you know, his family was with him. Um, Johnny and I in the last four years or so, you know, we talked two or three times a week and we had some great talks and, and we always laugh because Johnny would, Johnny, aside from his investments, he was worked on wall street. And so he had a small account and he would be a day trader. And he said, you know, if I can make a couple hundred a day, just did it for fun. Uh-huh. And so he would give me stock tips. And so I bought a few things that he recommended and I would always bust him about what's all right, John. He goes, well, don't listen, don't buy it because I'm telling you this, you know, cause I don't know, it's going up or down. I go, no, you've guaranteed any losses you're covering. And so it always busts them about the stock that sure, no problem. You're going to cover all my losses if there are any. So if there's an upside, I win. If there's a downside, I don't lose. And, you know, but, but Johnny was, uh, you know, he was at home. His family was there. And I know that Ricky Lee, he just had nothing but high praise because when I would talk to John and we, like I said, we talked regularly, um, it would usually be on speakerphone or, or, uh, FaceTime and Ricky Lee was always there and but she she took care of him to the very end and uh, you know his family was great and they were there as well but Ricky Lee was there every day and uh, so you know God bless him to, to Ricky Lee because she was definitely somebody who was there by her father's side right to the end now Ricky Lee is one of the children that he had with Marsha mm-hmm okay let's quickly go back to the beginning how did you meet uh, Johnny Z, explain that scenario and your professional relationship with him. Right. It's hard to believe that we've been friends 40, 41 years, 40 years. Um, I was recording at Music America with Chris Bubach, and Metallica had come in to record with Chris. And uh, Chris was telling me about Johnny Z and that he was signing bands. And so I called Johnny and we had a great talk. He knew of the rods and uh, we had a great talk and uh, that's how it started. You know, that was as simple as a, a phone call that Johnny and I hit it off from the first time we started speaking. And uh, so that's how it went from there. We just, uh, he started asking me about producing different bands and so off we went. And uh, I'd like to go back to the, about Marsha. Sure. What a what a great team they were, and Marsha was there. Marsha came in for uh, we, metal rap. The Rods were doing a demo, and Johnny asked us if we could write something, so we came up with the music for metal rap for him. He had the words. But Marsha came in, and she directed the children's choir. She came in the next day, and she brought the kids, and she was fantastic. I mean, she was so great. Like she was, she was definitely a producer all the way. She kept everybody on track, on point, and uh, got a great performance from from the kids. But um, it was sad. I remember Johnny calling me the day Marsha died. I couldn't believe it when he said Marsha's gone. I, I just was, I was stunned. And it's, uh, you always wonder when you have such a close knit team how long that partner is going to last after that half of them really goes because they're part of the whole and so they're in, in essence. 
And uh, so I was shocked, you know, that Johnny was gone. And, uh, you know, shortly after Marsha, a year after Marsha had passed. But Marsha was wonderful. And uh, he credits her with so much. uh, And uh, she just was such a great lady. And she took good care of John. Yeah, like I mentioned before, there's usually a strong woman behind an innovative man, the, the glue that keeps things together. So, Absolutely. So without going too far deep into the weeds with Johnny's health, exactly what was the root of Johnny's passing? You know, Johnny had been struggling with uh, this affliction. And, you know, I'll let the family speak to it. Okay. Uh, but, but it's But it's been something that he's been battling and it was something that was making it difficult for him to walk and it became very painful and, mm. and he was having treatments uh, sometimes three times a week and uh, we would talk to him sometimes during these treatments when he was up for it and was bored he and I would talk and we'd talk music and try to keep his mind off it but these these transfusions uh, treatments he was getting were like eight hours long and uh, and they would help for a while and so we were really optimistic but um you know, something that had been plaguing him for a while and we thought he could get past it. And ultimately it, it didn't, he didn't, it was very sad. The history of Megaforce in the beginnings has been well-documented. Scott Ian chasing him down in pancake houses, John, <laughs> Johnny getting the no life to leather tape and calling the Metallica guys from a payphone outside of his flea market record store. So you mentioned that you met Johnny while you were up here. Metallica was up here in Rochester, New York, recording Kill 'Em All. Did you know of John before then? Or was this was, I realized this was, this whole Megaforce was developing basically overnight. Really? It, it absolutely was. It was a full tilt. Just a, it was a, and it was, and this is how I remember Johnny and always admire Johnny. Johnny had a way of, he moved forward. He was like P.T. Barnum. He moved forward and everything was sucked up in the wake because he was moving so fast. And that's, and that was what he what was basically happening with, uh, with Megaforce. And, uh, and of course he wasn't here. Metallica wasn't up then when uh, I called Johnny Metallica was coming in. So I actually didn't interact with Metallica during that time. We had played shows around it. And then, my friend Victoria, who took care of the rods in the early days, and when Anthrax came, I suggested uh, Victoria help us. You know, when we were poor and nothing, she would make these Quiznos type subs, and we were all like, "Oh my God, they're so great!" And then she should have started a Quiznos in 1980, but she she would make these hot open face subs for us, and you know? so she took care of the bands, and um, so that's how Rock and Roll Hotel started was bringing in bands, and Johnny continued it, but. Um, you know, things things went fast, and that was what what it was. Chris Bubach telling me that John was coming in, and I called him, and then we didn't meet until after that. I think he came to Pyramid, and I met them then for the first time in person. Last fall, we did a special episode on Metal Mayhem ROC. We did an interview with Andrew Robleski. Andrew was, at the time, a 21-year-old sound engineer student, and he was second-chair engineer on that Kill 'Em All album. And seeing that he was the same age as the band, he became friends with him. 
Here's a fun story that Andrew shared about Johnny Z in the studio during the making of Kill 'Em All. How much time did you have to spend with these guys outside the studio? <laughs> well, I, I, I was usually the person who would pick them up from the house on Boardman and bring them to the studio. The best part of spending time with these guys uh, was um, one time Johnny Z was in town. And it was a Wednesday night and, you know, we kind of were wrapping up early because these guys slept in, you know, because we would drink all night. And um, that's where the whole nickname Alcoholica came from, by yeah. the way. Oh, sure. And, sure. and, and um, so we, um, Johnny's like, you know, what, what's there to do? And I said, oh, I said, on Wednesday nights, I usually go to East Rochester because it's 25 cent beer night. Where, PG's? So Johnny. Uh, at no, at uh, I think it was called Miller's. It was right on Commercial Street on the main drag there. And so Johnny Z said, "Here's a hundred bucks." He gave me a hundred dollar bill. He goes, "Go have some fun." We piled into my Chevy Impala, and we went to Miller's. And a few of my buddies from Penfield were there. And I gave the bartender the hundred, and I said, "Don't stop." And we 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 had a couple of beers. Just this week, Andrew posted um, on his Facebook page a picture of um, never-seen-before photos that Andrew has in his personal collection of um, Johnny Z at the desk, at the board, at Music American. One of his daughters is in the picture, and he said Johnny was a good guy. He was uh, he didn't interact with him much, but... No, know. Johnny was a good guy, and Johnny, Johnny would give... Like, he put... Like Johnny and Marsha put every dollar on the line. There was a time with Anthrax, and I have this, the composition books, the little black and white ones, where I paid Anthrax their per diems. Mm -hmm. And every day they would sign. And, and it's a funny book because I'll have to share it at some point. It, but it's funny because when it first starts out, it's like Scott Ian and so on. Then it winds up Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck, JFK, mm -hmm. like pretty soon they would sign for their for DMs, like just ridiculous names. But I wound up fronting a few thousand dollars so Anthrax could eat because they were tapped out. Like they they had projects going and they had money in the pipeline, but they didn't have it in their pocket. And uh, I know that John Perry Alice fronted Studio Time. John and Alex Perry Alice fronted Studio Time. I paid Anthrax per DMs for extended period of time and of course johnny made it right johnny and marcia made it all right because he was really a good guy but he would take a band out and spend his last dollar and uh, you know to make sure the band was doing okay he was just a really good guy both of them john and marcia they both sacrificed tremendously in the early days and thank god they wound up reaping the benefits from the sacrifices and the vision he did mm -hmm. that on many occasions it started with the metallica guys but testament he brought around overkill he took a chance on a freely's comet king's x you know he brought those um and he pushed king's x really they spent a lot of money on king's x you know the raven guys those mm -hmm. what can you share about any of those uh like the freely comets over the overkill days or more importantly you were there during the recording of the uh, spread into disease and stormtroopers of death. Did John have anything to do with that, or was that? No, that was all. They were all signed to Megaforce, you know. The, okay. the, so all during that time, and you know, I produced the first Overkill, and so Johnny was cool. Johnny, Johnny and Marsha were always. They would come up when they could and hang out, 
they came up for Exciter when we were recording, and uh, but they, you know they had always they would always show up and uh, and say whatever they could. I mean they had other things going on, so it was tough for them to be away, but they would come up and spend a day. What about your friendship with John outside of the music business? You know, do you ever vacation with him, or was it more of a telecommunication? relationship after all the years tell us a little bit about johnny the person john and marcia well you know when johnny and marcia they were looking before they bought an oceanfront property uh, they uh, came up here and we spent a couple of days just driving around in the poconos i drove them to different places they were looking at different lakes there's so many lakes up here where i am in scranton area poconos area so we spent at least two or three days driving around and you know looking at houses and you know, so I would see them on occasion wherever, whenever possible. You know, we didn't really live close. So mostly we would just talk on the phone. He eventually retired down to Florida. Did you ever see him down there or anything? Or I didn't, and, and I, I regret and don't regret because he'd been inviting me. And we were, I was in Florida, I don't know, two years ago, three years, and I was going to stop by, but it would just seem like it would be an imposition. So we didn't and um, so then I planned on I planned on going right after Christmas to see him so we had made plans that I was coming down and it's like no please stay here I'm like no John I'm stay in the hotel I don't want to impose but then Kennedy Band got a, a gig on my birthday January 27th and so like I can't come now I've got to rehearse every week so I regret not going because I planned on going the first part of January I already had my ticket paid for and um but I just had to not go, and I thought, well, I'll go after. And, of course, like so many things in life, you know, what happens while you're making plans, uh, there is no after. So, Perfect example where, don't want to sound cliche, but we really, especially in this pandemic period, you just really have to live your life to the fullest. You said you just celebrated your 69th birthday, and you're trending on the social network sites. There's an excellent video of you doing a drum solo in a concert recently. What what was that gig? Was that a 450 gig? Was it a Kennedy gig? What was it? Was that? A, it was a Kennedy gig, and it's our, it was our first full-length gig. And by the way, I like the way you said it was my 6-9 birthday, you know, because that, that just makes it sound so much better than 69. Of course, when... <laughs> When I was young and you said when I was like 13 or 14 and you said 69, like we'd all tee hee and giggle and, uh, you know, think I was so, so funny. And now when I say 69, I cry. Ah. But but anyway, I'm, it, was a, it was great to play on my birthday. It was a Kennedy gig and it was, uh, you know, it was just fun to do the Kennedy album. We did the entire album and three new songs we're working on for the next album. And it was well-received, and it was fun to do. And, uh, you know, I did it solo on my 69th birthday, which I guess is, I think about it in terms of some kind of milestone. I was able to at least play. And I had to hold back a little bit because I wasn't sure. You know, I've been playing a lot because of COVID. And I'm like, I've got a whole set to go through. And so I was trying to hold back, but but it was, when I got done, it was like I had just like walked around the block. It was nothing at all. So that was also great for me to know that I can get back out there and play comfortably what I want to play the way I want to play it and no, not taxing on me at all. Last time we talked, the, uh, the 450s had released their debut album. How are the mm -hmm. 450 guys doing? How have things been in that camp? 
things are going great. We have new videos coming out shortly, and uh, we kind of pulled back for January because everything is dead in January. But now we have a whole battery of things. Our publicists are gearing up for that. And uh, we're talking about doing getting together for the next album sometime in the summer. So we'll see how that comes about. Absolutely. But um, 450s are going strong in terms of that. And, you know, it's a really crappy time to release an album middle of covid and can't play a gig can't you know and if you set up a gig how many gigs are set up and then canceled so but nonetheless we're has not uh, daunted us in any way we're not uh, we're not discouraged and we're moving forward i think i still love the album so much and uh, we get great people who hear the album really connect to it so just a question of staying on it and getting people to listen to it and see if it connects with them and what about that other project you're involved with, The Rods? I know last time we talked, you guys were putting stuff together for that. I have three drum tracks done. I think I have six more in my computer that I'll be chipping away at this week. And uh, so we're making progress. The album is coming along quite nicely. I'm very excited about it because, honestly, the last two albums, this last album, I thought, well, that might be the last Rods album. But now it looks like... We will have this album, and I don't want to speak too soon, but maybe there'll be even another album. Well, you know, Carl, you know, it's funny because we, as this pandemic has gone on and things develop, all the veteran bands are just pumping out stuff. Saxon just released that Carpe Diem the other day, and it's, you know, it's just some of their best stuff. It's just right out there overkill mm -hmm. and some of these and i hate to use uh legend bands but they are they're they're still pumping it out and why not you know you're, you're a workaholic you love what you do you don't know anything else sure you may have other side financial projects but rock and roll's in your dna what are you gonna do it, ab it absolutely is and you know the bands like overkill anthrax they haven't missed a beat like in terms of day one to now and anthrax just had a had a video of gung-ho mm -hmm. and i remember gung-ho because when we were when producing that album they did that song and charlie nailed it first take and that was just mind-blowing because the at that point who was playing double bass that fast nobody it was it was mind-blowing to hear him execute it so well perfectly one take but if you listen to it there's still the same they, they haven't lost anything no step backward joey sings better than ever um and the band's tighter than ever and they just they all kick ass and so overkill the same they stayed solid the whole time so even though these bands have added years it certainly hasn't tainted anything it hasn't like you're not hearing the swing slow version of gung-ho gung-ho hey gung-ho you know that's not happening it's still in your face balls to the wall so you know why not keep cranking out the music when you're playing at that level? And that for me was criteria when the rods got back together like 14 years ago, whenever it was, um, was that if we're not playing, if we're like a reasonable facsimile of what we were, then thank you, but no, thank you. I don't want to do it. So, you know, but I think if you can perform at the, at a high level and write consistently like Saxon, look at the show they just had with girls school and um, some other bands I can't think of. Diamond but, head know, and Uriah heap. Right. Phenomenal lineup. And uh, you know, Biff sounds great. And I know he's had some health issues, but you can do it, you know, and it's like my daughter, my, my daughter's fiance, we're all eating and 
my daughter was eating and her head was kind of down and she was eating and her fiance said to me, so when are you going to stop playing? And my daughter, without missing a beat, goes, never. I was yeah. like, I didn't even have to answer. It was like, she knows. I'm going to, you know, basically rock till you drop. So yeah, I, I agree with you. Like I said before, all my, all these old bands, they're old friends. It's mm -hmm. you just revisit. Nothing irks me more when someone says, oh yeah, I used to like them. I go, well, you don't right. like them anymore? Well, you, you know, they're still putting out killer stuff. They're still, like I said, they're our old friends. And I consider, you know, the Rod's part of the, and your music, part of old friends. That's mm -hmm. Well, so. thank you for that. I noticed that here in America, in America, it seems that music has become, has been for forever since I was young. Something that's basically, you're told this is the new thing, the new it thing, quote unquote, and that's what you like now. In Europe, it's not that way. In Europe, it's like American country fans here. In Europe, metal fans, they find a band. That's it. They like that band. They don't dislike that band. They love that band till whenever, unless that band tries to take it too far left or right, where they're just completely out of what the genre was that they loved them for in the first place. But it's the way country fans are here. Country fans discover somebody and they like that artist or group they stay with them. There's no, oh, uh, you know, I used to like them. But in America, it seems that you do get some of that where, oh, they're not the hippest new thing now. So, but, you, you know, know, the serious music fans definitely don't, they don't vacillate that way. You know, recently uh, we talked with Nigel Glockler of Saxon and we were talking about those European festivals because we were discussing the touring plans. And <laughs> Carl, I don't know if you've really seen these lineups that they have over in Europe, these festivals and everyone plays them. But yet here in the States, there's some festivals, but there are mm -hmm. the older bands that, you know, there's one member or there's offshoots, like, you know, there'll be a festival and no disrespect to any of these guys, but there'll be like, two or three different versions of LA guns playing this festival. And you never really know, <laughs> you know, who they are. That's right. <laughs> you know, but you uh, have a band, you have a band name with like second generation, you know, they played with somebody who played in the original lineup or yeah. something. And they're now calling it that. <laughs> yeah. No, we've played so many festivals in Europe and the lineups are incredible. And uh, yeah, Europe is a whole different thing when it comes to how the fans view music and so on. But those festivals are just jam-packed with, you know, I'm looking at it, and it's like Maiden Headlines, but Accepts there. Flotsam and Jetsam, mm -hmm. Priest. Um, the up-and-coming bands are all on there, and it's just like... I likened it to a, a friend, and I don't, this isn't some kind of statistical research, but it was my observation from touring the States and knowing that places such as uh, Texas, for example, would have, would be a hotbed for metal but northeast not so much and you know the only thing i can explain to my friend is that in europe it's like you know five states in the u.s right um it's a smaller area even though you're talking europe thinking it's as big or bigger than the entire continental u.s yeah so we have we have pockets of metal but to pull it all together is a different story here. Whereas in Europe, it's pretty easy to go to a show from England. For example, we, we played Grass Pop and uh, 
in Belgium, but we'd also had been to download in England. And, you know, you're on a ferry and you're in Belgium. It's not a big deal to travel to all these countries. And so it's a different, different world. But here, if you're talking here in Pennsylvania or New York State, and you might go to a festival in Texas, it's a tough drive. Yeah. So because 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 geographically we're so spread out, I think if you took all the metal fans in the U.S., we could and just could consolidate them into one area, we could probably have the same type of huge festivals they have in Europe. And the other thing is, I don't know the promoters here put on those kind of festivals because I don't know if they have faith in putting on a lineup the way they do in Europe that they will get the fans to pay. So, but whatever, it's just been my observation that because the U.S. is just so large that it makes it tougher to pull it all together. And the landscape has changed and, you know, metal and hard rock, it's, and you know, it's down the list now as popular music. It's, it's just changed. It's, we missed the golden age and, you know, mm -hmm. and things are good. All right. Well, Carl, again, Thank you for sharing the insight on Johnny Z. Hey, so, I think we we all it's he leaves a big hole, but he leaves an amazing legacy that uh, you know every time you listen to something metal, it really was a lot of it's evolved because of Johnny Z's efforts and Marsha's efforts in the beginning. So, hats off to Johnny and Marsha. Again, uh, Carl's involved with his new band, the Four Fifties, his solo band, Kennedy and his day job, the the rods, the legendary rods. So seek out Carl Kennedy on Facebook and the internet and gain information on all that. Again, Carl, thank you, and uh, we'll stay in touch. Thank you, John. Okay, take care. Metal for Life. Thank you for listening to Metal Mayhem ROC. Check out our website at metalmayhemroc.com for information on podcasts, archives, links to all our live radio shows, and all sorts of info. Please like, follow, and share with everyone, even your non-metal friends. And always remember to keep it heavy. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.